My guest today, Jamie Kern Lima, well, she thought she'd spend her life in the world of broadcast TV, where after graduating school, she began working her way up as a journalist and then eventually a news anchor where a bright career was really laid out in front of her. And the camera started picking up a genetic skin condition that she struggled to hide and threatened to derail what she was really working so hard to build. That experience, that emotion at Quest, that would eventually lead her out of the world of broadcast journalism and into the world of entrepreneurship, where she'd eventually found It Cosmetics, a company she started in her living room and would sell down the road to L'Oreal for $1.2 billion, becoming the first female CEO in L'Oreal's 100-plus year history. Her journey, though, was anything but smooth. With years of 100-plus hour weeks living hand-to-mouth for some of those miles of nose and countless dark nights of the soul, and even a single moment that would either shut the company down or launch them into the stratosphere, which, by the way, guess which one happened? Jamie's passionate about inspiring mentors and entrepreneurs, building businesses, making a difference in the lives of women and girls, and giving back in a big way. Her book, Believe It, shares her story and many of the big insights she's now sharing with aspiring creators and founders. So excited to share this conversation with you. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Good Life Project. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Good Life Project is brought to you by Understood Explains, a podcast that's like a beacon for parents navigating the special education system. Hosted by Juliana Urtube, a special education expert, this season is all about individualized education plans, or IEPs. Juliana breaks down complex topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP in a way that's easy to grasp. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains about the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, and I was struck by the balance of empathy and practical advice. It's not just about understanding the system. It's about empowering parents and caregivers to advocate for their children, which is just so important. So I've known a number of people who've had to literally scramble to figure out how to advocate for their kids when the system seemed to just make it so hard to get the support that they need and deserve. So if you're a parent navigating this world or even just wondering if it's right for your family, I encourage you to give Understood Explains a listen. Search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. It's like having a roadmap for a journey you didn't expect, making it a little less daunting. I was born, yeah, in San Rafael and um, adopted 
the day I was born, which I would learn about in my late 20s for the first time. Uh, but yeah, raised up in the Seattle area. I went to school out there. Lots of families still up there in that area right now. Yeah, which is gorgeous there. It sounds like as a, as a kid also, you're coming up in a family where hardworking family, but you end up also being the first person in the family to go to college. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Was that always an expectation of yours or an aspiration? No, um, it, it wasn't. I always had this kind of like feeling like this knowing that I wanted to get out and see the world. It was never an expectation. In fact, um, I'd always worked really hard. So, but I always had that kind of that inner knowing of, of where I'm at is not where I want to stay at least not for a while. <laughs> I want to get out and meet people and see things and all that. And but I, I wasn't raised in a family that really traveled much or, or or any of that. They worked really really hard though. You know, so when I was a teenager, I'm like, oh, I need I need to get out and I need my own car, right? And so my parents uh, weren't going to buy one for me. So I had four jobs. I bagged groceries at Safeway and all those things, and and, and I saved up enough money for my first car, and that was that was a big thing. And I remember actually the opposite almost happened to me because after, after, well, during high school and then after actually I was, I started as a receptionist at this health club and then started selling memberships for commission and eventually moved up into management and was running this club with thousands of members, not because I had any leadership ability yet, <laughs> uh, but just because I was selling the most memberships. And anyhow, I, at the time, was making around $50,000, which was a lot more money than either my parents. And I remember my dad actually saying, because I told him, oh, I'm thinking about maybe going to college. And he's like, are you crazy? Like, why would you do that? You know what I mean? He's like, no, you have a great thing going. And it was kind of this moment. I actually remember the moment really well where I had this kind of like little knowing, you know, those deep knowings we get in our gut where I'm like, oh, he loves me so much. He's giving me the best advice he knows how, <laughs> but he, but I think he's wrong. <laughs> you know, that kind of that knowing where he's giving me advice through the lens of his own Fears, own limitations, his own experience. So for me, it was actually the opposite. Um, it was it was me kind of having this this feeling of oh, I think I'm supposed to meet new people, serve more, give more, do more, something more than where I'm at. And I, I didn't know what that was, but I, I just always kind of knew that where I came from and even where I was at wasn't where I was called to be or serve or give. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting because so often you hear the exact opposite story where the, the aspiration for the family and for the kids is always like, this is the next step and the next step. And then you go yeah. to college or maybe get your graduate degree and then go into this world. And um, it's really interesting to hear that your dad was actually kind of saying to you, well, you know, like do the thing that makes the most sense for you. And, and from his standpoint, that probably revolved around safety and security. Yeah, but for you, there was something else clicking in your mind. This is mm, that's not quite right for me. I'm, I'm curious when you actually decided to say yes to college. Did you have a sense? Because unlike your average sort of like high school kid, where you're not really sacrificing a whole lot, you were giving up a lot to say yes to that. What was it in your mind that you were saying yes to? I just had this this kind of feeling like I was supposed to be doing something that mattered more or that that was impacting other people more, I guess, than, than what I was doing. And 
I didn't know what that was, but I knew enough to look around and go, okay, <laughs> you know, I, I had this kind of, I guess, fearless part of me where I just wanted to get out and see everything. And I ended up you know, quitting my job at the health club and, and moving over to Pullman, Washington, which is this tiny town for Washington State University. And I got a job as a waitress at Denny's. So I was waiting tables at Denny's and then eventually slicing meat in the deli counter as well at the grocery store there and just kind of dove in to college. And it was, I think, the best decision I ever made at, at that point in my life, not because I learned a ton, but it was because it was that first step into you know, I guess trusting myself, <laughs> my own, that own inner voice, even when it went against the advice of the people I love so much around me. Yeah. Did you have a sense for what you um, wanted to do afterwards or, or was it, were you not even looking that far ahead? Well, I always thought like, I think I saw, what was that movie with Michael Douglas? And I was like, oh, I'm going to be a stockbroker and I'm going to go into business. And oh, I Wall thought that Street? was- Wall Street. It was Wall Street. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this is going to be so great. And so I actually majored in business and, and I thought that's what I was going to do um, at that point. But, you know, I then also, I mean, ever since I was a little girl, I loved other people's stories. I used to sit in my mm. living room every day growing up watching Oprah. And I always thought one day I'm going to have my career sharing other people's stories. So I had that in the back of my mind too. And so eventually I ended up working in journalism actually and thought that's what I was going to do my whole career until everything changed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you go from there and you head out into um, the world of, of broadcast TV. Um, yeah. And it sounds like, you know, sort of starting in one market, then eventually bouncing up to Portland um, where you end up anchoring. I can't let go of the Wall Street reference though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it's interesting because there's, it sounds like there are these like two things happening in you um, simultaneously. On the one hand, there is this real awareness of scale and wealth um, and it's a, as something in your mind that is calling you. And then on the other hand, there's this real openness and, and deep interest and curiosity about other people, about other people's yeah. stories. Yeah. Um, and it seems like you had these dueling storylines, which um, is an interesting context because neither one of those ever really leaves you. <laughs> Mm, that's so funny you say that. You know, I don't know if you have similar experiences in this area, but now that you say that, I'm having these memories of, you know, growing up even as a little kid, like I would, you know, save my Easter candy and think about, could I sell this? <laughs> or what is it? Like I would tally what, or I would, you know, I would make cookies and think, okay, I'm going to sell them for a dollar. So I guess I always had that kind of instinct or I guess curiosity. And I think, you know, the movie Wall Street, which I don't think I've ever spoken about this ever. And <laughs> like, I don't even know if my husband knows this, but, but the movie Wall Street, I remember thinking like, oh, like it felt exciting because A, Everything in that movie I had never seen in real life, like nothing looked like that around me where I was raised and, you know, just felt like, oh, you, you know, I could build an empire. I think that's what it was. Yeah. And, you know, as you're speaking, something else which occurs to me, which is, it's like another storyline here, but it's really, for those who haven't seen the movie, this was a classic movie. You got to go see it. But it basically pits Martin Sheen against Charlie Sheen. And Martin is the old person who's like spent his whole life working in a trade, coming up, working really hard, representing the union, and really has like has a strong value around hard work and money. Mm -hmm. And then his son gets exposed to this world where it's like, it's all about exponential cash and scale. That is not entirely dissimilar to the storyline between you and your dad. Mm-hmm. 
although you don't get caught up in the madness and completely lose sight of value and humanity the way that uh, the younger character in that movie did. But it's interesting to sort of like see that dynamic. The dynamic, yeah. It latched into you early on. Yeah. And I probably ended up working twice as hard as my <laughs> as my dad did for so many years, probably too hard actually in hindsight. But yeah, that is interesting. I've never thought about that before. Yeah. So you end up behind an anchor desk. You're building your career. You're doing this thing that feels really good to you, telling other people's stories and also being in front of a camera and believing this is going to be your trajectory. Yeah. And then everything changes. Mm-hmm. Tell me what your sort of inciting incident is here for saying, okay, there's something else. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it was this moment where, you know, uh, something happened to me that I thought was this big setback. It felt like the biggest setback. And I later realized it was, it was like a setup <laughs> for, for everything I was actually supposed to do. And I think sometimes we have these moments happen to us that are horrible or, or feel unfair or feel like, feel like a big setback. And then, you know, it's, it's amazing how life works, right? When we can look back and go, wow, thank goodness for our setbacks in so many cases, even the hard ones. And, um, but this one, you know, I was, yeah, I was working, I had worked my way up. I started in a small market and, you know, learning how to, how to write and edit and shoot and report and all those things. And I had worked my way up to, to Portland, Oregon, and I was anchoring the weekend morning news. And I thought it was in my dream job. And I thought, you know, I knew for sure I wanted to do this since I was a little girl and I'm, I loved it. And I started getting a skin condition on my face called rosacea, which is hereditary and there's no cure for it and it, it's bright red. And in my case, like if you imagine thinking of all, all of your community right now, like if you imagine touching your face and then, but your cheeks feel like sandpaper with like these bumps everywhere and they're bright red, like the color of tomatoes. So that's what started happening on, on my, my face. And, you know, I'd be anchoring the news and I would hear in my earpiece from the producer, I would hear, and I'd be live talking to viewers live and I would hear in my earpiece, there's something on your face. There's something on your face. Can you wipe it off? Can you wipe it off? And I knew there was nothing I could wipe off. And so it started this chapter for me of, uh, you know, seeing dermatologists realizing, oh, there's no cure for this. Okay. What do I do now? And, and, and that started this season of trying makeup, every type of makeup I could get my hands on from the most inexpensive at the drugstores to the really expensive ones at department stores to the professional lines of makeup and nothing would work. Either it, it wouldn't cover and you'd see all this redness coming through or it'd be super thick, almost like a mask. And so I had this moment where I realized like, why is nothing working <laughs> for me? And two things happen. Like a lot of people talk about kind of a their why and their journey, why they're doing what they're doing. And it was interesting that that the why for me on this company I eventually ended up creating started in this moment where I realized, oh, my whole life, like, because I couldn't figure out why is nothing working? There's millions of makeup brands out there. And then I realized in, you know, all the time, and this was in 2007, in all of the years I had seen television commercials or magazine ads of makeup products, the models always had a perfect skin. I had never seen anyone with bright red rosacea. <laughs> and on top of that, I kind of realized, oh, wow, I don't even know if those models were wearing the product they were selling. And a lot of times the ads are, are Photoshopped. So a lot of times makeup just, I always thought it worked, but that's because I actually 
just didn't have anything I needed to cover or anything else. And I had this, this moment of realizing, oh, if I can figure out how to actually create a product that works for me, I bet it's also, I bet there's so many other people out there that have just given up on makeup or they're frustrated or, or they would love a product like that too. And then the, the bigger thing for me though was something happened in that moment where it wasn't just about that aha moment, oh, this, this is white space, this product is missing. It was way deeper than that. It was this moment where I realized having this moment where I realized I'd never seen anyone with my skin conditions you know, in magazine ads or TV ads, I realized, oh, wow, my entire life, like growing up, I'd always seen these, these ads and I, I, with these women with flawless skin, and I'd always aspired to look like that. But deep down inside, they actually always made me feel like I wasn't enough. And I had this moment where I realized, okay, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to give up on one dream, right? Which by the way, like sometimes knowing when to give up on, on a dream is as important as knowing when to go after one. And this was really hard for me because I thought my whole life, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And you know, I had this moment where I realized if I'm going to give up on this dream of, of telling other people's stories, I'm going to do something I know nothing about, which is start a makeup company. If I'm going to do it, it's not just going to be about the product and about figuring out how to hopefully create something that works. But if I create a company, I want to actually cast models that are real people <laughs> with real skin challenges and all ages and sizes and skin tones. And the deep, deep why was like, if I could shift culture and beauty and create a company where I show all these you know, real people, call them beautiful models and mean it, like maybe I could shift culture around the whole definition of beauty for every little girl who's about to see these images and start doubting herself and every grown woman and person who still does. And that deep, I guess, reflection or or pain that I realized had always kind of made me feel not enough is what then became this driver inside of me, way bigger driver than let me create a product that works or even though I wanted to do that or let me help millions of other people, even though I wanted to do that, the deeper why was like, oh, can I actually do something to shift culture around this not enoughness that the beauty industry drives into people? So that was that all started when I was sitting there as a news anchor, not knowing how I was going to do it, not knowing anyone in the beauty industry, not having much money, but when I would check in with that kind of that that internal gut, it told me I, I just felt like I was supposed to do it. I, it didn't make sense. And my head wanted to stay in my dream job <laughs> of a journalist, but my inner knowing was like, you're supposed to do this. And that I made the decision to trust it. Yeah. I mean, and, and again, similar to the decision you made to go to college and actually give up a really well-paying career with with possibility, this was another moment where you're sort of saying, I have a trajectory, I'm doing really well, but there is this other thing where maybe I can't even from a, I, I can't rationally say, I know this is going to work. I like, you can make all the spreadsheets in the world, yeah. but it's, it's always a huge risk to start something new, especially in an industry where you have no resources, no relationships, no experience. It's a product-based industry, which is all like classically known as being brutally hard to start a company in yeah. and you're choosing to walk away from something where you're succeeding, you know it, and there's a clear path. It sounds like there there is something in you. There's a voice in you that kind of like allows you to be willing to walk away from a quote sure thing in the name of something that is 
very unsure, um, but has the possibility and the potential to to make a difference at a much bigger scale. It sounds like that's been a part of you for basically your life. Yeah, and I, I, um, you know, when I look back in the stories that I share, like I've, that I've never shared before, but in in this book, a big thing is when I look at all the things I've done wrong in my journey, which is a lot, and I talk about all of them, usually when I look back at the big mistakes I made, it it was when I didn't trust myself or I didn't get still enough to actually hear what that inner knowing was. And I think that the things I did right were when I did do that, even when it didn't make sense, right? And you know, I think that like when so many people Google my story that I've never shared the story behind the story of all this. And the reason I'm doing it is because when you Google my story, you go, oh, Denny's Waitress creates a billion-dollar company. And it it looks like, oh, she just got lucky or this or that. But it's like, no, it was actually a journey that was, you know, from the moment that I just made this decision to trust my gut, to listen to that, knowing I'm supposed to do this next thing, it was not easy. and. I think so many people end up facing opposition or they try a new idea and they don't get any success or proof that their idea is right around them. Or it could also be the people around them in their inner circle that love them so much, but are like, are you sure? You know, all of a sudden all the doubt starts. And I feel like for so many people, it's so much easier to talk ourselves out of our own truth and like never actually step into all of who we are or all of who we're born to be and literally miss out on the person we're born to be because it's easier to either stay in our comfort zone or or it's easier to to have the volume the loudest on everyone else around us or our own self-doubt to the point where we don't even hear our own internal knowing anymore or ever learn how and when I realized that like so many people send me messages or, or DMs on Instagram or whatever saying, you know, oh, you know, I didn't have that kind of luck when I tried or this or that, or, or, you know, I keep getting rejection, but I'm happy for you. And it's like, oh, wow. I had this big moment where I realized that if we don't share these kind of stories, right, of all the rejection or, or the times that the things we did right by listening and learning how to turn into tune into our knowing or not doing it and having huge you know i think i think sharing all these kind of stories is so important which is why i love your show by the way <laughs> but also why you know it's why i wrote this book because so many people at least in my story it looks like a fairy tale or something it looks and all that does is make people feel alone in their own rejection or their own opposition they're facing. And my story is really a story of a girl who went from not believing in herself to believing in herself and not trust, like not trusting herself at times to like learning how to trust herself, even, you know, when it didn't make sense. And so I think that that's the journey. I think, I think, you know, most people won't, won't want to create a product company and sell it for a billion dollars or this or that. I think the journey is, for all of us is learning how to like break through all the noise of of self-doubt and other people's opinions, all that, and learning actually how to hear our own truth and then and then trust it. Because for me, I think that's the only way to actually step into all of who you are and all of who you're called to be. And I think that 
so few people never actually become all of who they are. And I feel like everybody listening right now probably know, because we all have this knowing, we all have this knowing deep down inside where we know if we're in the right job right now, or if we're in the right relationship, or is this friendship right for us? Or is that we all kind of know, you know, we, we all have that knowing, but I think so few people actually get into the practice of learning how to hear their own truth and then trust themselves. My biggest hope and prayer for this book is that it just, I mean, it's every lesson I've ever learned (laughs) uh, personally and professionally on, on how to do that and how to believe in yourself, how to trust yourself. And, and it's hard, Jonathan. I mean, when, when I left television news, I thought, oh my gosh, if I can just create a product that's really good, that works, it's going to be huge. Like I just thought that, right? And I didn't realize, oh, it's not that easy. You know, we poured every penny we had into the business. I, I, my husband quit his job. I quit his job. We wrote our business plan on our honeymoon flight to South Africa, got back, quit our jobs, and just dove all in and spent every penny we had. And I thought when we'd finally created this product that I knew, oh, wow, it works for me. This is going to be huge. I had no idea how hard it would be to be an entrepreneur. And I also didn't know how hard it would be when all the experts are telling you that they don't believe in your idea, right? So in my case, I had thought, oh, wow, all the department stores, the Sephora, Ulta, all the beauty retailers, QVC, I'd always thought if I can create something that works, like let me go live on television and show it live where you can't Photoshop it. Let me prove how good this is on real women. And you know, I, I had all these hopes and dreams. And then for what I didn't know is for the first three years of the business, every single one of those retailers would say no, or you're not the right fit for us, or you're not right for our customers. It was three years of no's, just about every form of no you can possibly hear. I share a story in the book also of a potential investor who actually said no to investing because he, and he was finally honest about it at the end. He said, I just don't think women will buy makeup from someone who looks like you with your body and your weight. And I remember when he passed on investing in us for that reason. And I just, I remember two things. One, even though it hurt, I didn't get mad. I actually just, like, it reminded me of why I was doing this also to begin with. Because if he was going to pass on investing in someone because of what they look like (laughs) um, or their body or weight, he's making a business decision on that. He's just as much impacted by all the images of the definition of beauty We've all seen our whole lives as I am, you know? And so it was like, oh, wow, this really impacts everyone. And it just kind of drove me even harder to to build a company that changed that. Um, But it was three years. And, you know, anyone listening right now is part of your community. And I think, like, when we share these stories of, of rejection or of people telling us we're not enough or of even experts that are that are touted visionaries that tell us, what we're doing in their area of expertise is not going to work and they're not willing to bet on us. And when we share those stories, I I think that it helps us all feel less alone in our own rejection. Because a lot of times, you know, you look on social media, all you see is everyone's highlight reel and it looks like everyone's having this great success. But when we share our stories of, oh yeah, here's the outcome. Oh yeah, I grew a billion dollar business, but like, but Oh, all the all the people that are so proud of our partnership now, it actually started out as three years of them rejecting me or saying you're not the right fit or and and just how to know if you should keep going or not. 
is really the heart and soul of this book. It's not how to create a billion dollar company. It's like how to learn to believe in yourself and, and trust yourself and go from doubting you're enough to knowing you're enough, but also just how to tune in and get still and go, oh yeah, I'm, I need to keep going because that's what feels right, even if it doesn't make sense right now. Or, oh, you know what? It's time to quit. And it's a victory that I know that. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Good Life Project is sponsored by NetSuite. So I remember when our businesses were just starting to really scale. It was amazing and also added complexity and stress. And the things that I used to do in hours were taking days, too many spreadsheets, too many systems, no single source of truth. If that sounds familiar, you should know these numbers. 37,000. 25 and 1. 37,000 businesses have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And 1. Because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in 
one place. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash goodlife. That's netsuite.com slash goodlife to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash goodlife. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to hear, you know, the... um. The when to hold and when to fold question, I think, is something that so mm-hmm. many people grapple with, whether it's your own company, whether it's a career, whether it's a relationship. You know, it's yeah. sort of like that universal question where we get so trapped very often, I think, also by wanting to be perceived a certain way by people around us who we respect and whose respect we want by yeah. data, which sometimes tells us, you know, well, the data can't prove it and data can't prove anything that hasn't been done before. So there's no, you know, you always have to balance that. But then, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by sort of like the deeper knowing that you talk about, you know, because I think we look to, we look to outside people who we trust. We look to information and we so often never validate intuition as data. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really important. You know, I think sometimes it does lead us astray. There's really interesting research by Daniel Kahneman about sort of like the thinking fast and slow systems where there is a time and a place for the the rational analytical decision making and a time and a place for the the quick intuitive decision making. But what I'm curious with you also is I'm curious what the language of your intuition is. Because I feel like for a lot of people, the language is is physical. We actually literally feel it. It's embodied, yet so many of us have reached a point in our adult lives where we're largely disconnected from feeling our bodies. We're disembodied that not only do we not feel emotion, but we also, we become disconnected to the messenger of intuition. And so it's it's not even that we can't read it. We don't even feel it. So I'm curious how, how intuition lands with you. What's the language? Mm, yeah. And I think too, for a lot of people, their intuitions also the only way they hear God, right? Or their faith, whatever faith means to them. Yeah. So, so, so here's the thing. I do believe we all have it. And I think along the lines of what you said, it's so easy to get so out of practice that we don't even know we have that muscle of learning how to tune in and, and hear it, right? So let me just give an example though. Like at the most basic level, when you're in the dating world, which for me feels like it was so long ago, but when you're in the dating world and you're into some guy and all of a sudden like he disappears or his phone broke or you know, you know deep down inside he's sketchy. Like you know, right? Or or we know, we know when someone's cheating, I don't wish that on anyone. I've had that happen to me. We know, but but we can choose not to hear it, right? We can choose to ignore it, all those kind of things. Or we second guess ourselves, but we kind of know. And we go into the checkout counter somewhere and we just get a weird, a weird feeling or a we know, <laughs> we know. But for whatever reason, when it comes to our own lives, we tend to just get so out of practice at even trying to know, right? And we just like hear everyone else and see the proof in front of us and all those things. And so, you know, for me, one of the the biggest stories that comes to mind of, I think 
when it spoke to me the loudest and how it felt was after, you know, three years of constant rejection from, from everyone, including, including QVC, you know, I'd finally gotten the head person. Uh, his name was Alan Burke and he ran all of beauty at QVC. So he was responsible. He's considered a legend in the, in the beauty industry and he's responsible for building this, this uh, billion dollar, multi-billion dollar empire over there. And I'd finally gotten him on the phone and I thought if he's going to, you know, talk to me and spend any of his precious time, it's it's going to be a good thing. And long story short, um, when we when we got on the phone, he said, you know, it's a no, and uh, it's a unanimous no. Um, all the buyers feel that you're not the right fit for us or for QVC. And I cried myself to sleep that night, and then three nights in a row, and uh, eventually uh, was at a, a a big beauty trade show where thousands of there's six thousand women there, and happens once a year, and every beauty brand demonstrates their best product launches of the year. And I'd entered us in that show, and um, long story short, uh, QVC was there, and one of their hosts happened to try our product and love it and tell the buyer about it. And I snuck out from the booth when you're not supposed to leave and went up and met one of the buyers. And this whole thing happened. We ended up getting a meeting finally, an in-person meeting finally for QVC. And we got a yes. And what this meant was we got one shot in this 10-minute live airing on QVC. Now, at the time, <laughs> we were doing two to three orders a day on our website, right? So, so you were kind of like at the end of your rope. I mean, yes, it, it was yes. like this was make or break time for you. It was make or break, and you know, after three years of no, hearing no, and you're not the right fit from everybody to finally get this big yes was huge. But it also became one of my greatest lessons on intuition, I think, that I've ever had in, in my career so far, because it's one thing to know what we stand for and to know what we feel. And then it's a whole nother thing when everyone's telling you to go against it and when everything's on the line. And what I mean by that is, you know, we got this yes, which meant we got one chance uh, one shot to go live on QVC, which is you know a television shopping channel. It's broadcast to 100 million homes live, and it's consignment. So, you know what that meant for us at the time was, oh, we had to sell over 6,000 units of our product in this 10-minute window in order to hit their sales goal or not come back. And it was all consignment, meaning. We somehow had to pay for all of it, manufacture all of it, ship it into them, not to mention all the boring stuff I won't go into, which is like third-party manufacturing, FTC compliant, like all the stuff, FDA clinical testing, all the stuff you have to pay for. But if it doesn't sell, or Jonathan, the other thing is what I learned, what I learned is that you might be given this 10-minute window, but if you go live and you're a minute in, and it's not selling, your time gets cut live, right? So you think you have 10 minutes and maybe you're a minute or two in and if it's not doing well, all of a sudden your clock is down to two minutes instantly. You're like, oh, and, and, and then it all gets shipped back to you. And in our case, we would go out of business, right? So it was a big risk. But at that point, to your point, uh, we didn't know how we were going to stay alive anyway. We were down to under $1,000 at this point in our company bank account, which was our personal bank account. So we applied. And we were only doing the two to three orders a day on our website. So we uh, applied for SBA loans. And uh, this is 22 banks had said no. So the, the last, the 23rd bank 
gave us a loan just to cover the inventory for this one airing uh, on QVC. So basically, long story short, everything was on the line. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, you should never accept a purchase order. You can't afford to lose. Uh, but at this point, we're like, you know what? Like, it's kind of our one shot. So uh, so I'd practiced like the whole demonstration I was going to do on the, in this 10-minute airing and all this. We hired third-party consultants that are awesome. They help a lot of people sell their products on television and in stores. Uh, and the big dilemma that I walked right into was that all these third-party experts told me that, you know, for me to have the best chance of success in that 10-minute window, I needed to have, you know, all of these models with flawless skin and here's how I needed to present the product. And well, this was everything that had ever worked before. So I got why they were saying this, but it also went against the authentic reason I created this product to begin with, right? So I would say to them things like, well, if I'm sitting at home and I am in my 70s, uh, how do I know that it's going to work for me if I only see someone who looks like she's 12 modeling? Or if I'm at home with rosacea or hyperpigmentation, but I don't see somebody with my skin tone or my skin challenge, like, how do I know it's going to work for me? And we would get into it and, and argue and they wanted me to win. They wanted the best thing for me. And you said something earlier, actually, that made me think of this moment because people that are visionaries, even though they would never admit this, they also often can't imagine something succeeding if they haven't seen it succeed before because subconsciously there's no proof it's going to, right? So I'm arguing with the best of the best experts, and they're telling me one thing, and my gut is telling me another, but I also didn't want to go out of business, and I was put in this really tough situation where literally everything was on the line. So I flew out to Pennsylvania, which is where QVC is. It's about 30 minutes west of Philly, and I sat in this rental car in the parking lot a week early. So I got there a week early, and I sat all alone in this rental car staring at the front door of QVC, which is this massive campus. Because the pressure felt so great where I was like, I don't want to go out of business. I don't want to lose every, you know, everything. And I have one shot. And sometimes when this happens, we start to think, well, maybe my gut is wrong. <laughs> like there's no proof around me that it's right. And you've got at that point three years of proof that maybe you're wrong. Yes. Right. Because the yes. market is saying like, no, 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 no. And and the yes. distribution channels are saying, no, 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 no. So to still be there sitting there saying, but there's something in me that's, that's still a yes. Brutally and these hard. are the moments. Yeah. So hard. And yet these are the moments that change our whole lives. Like these are the moments that change our destiny. These are the moments that literally like our industry changing or world changing or company changing, you know, but when you're in them, it's so hard to think you're a person that could know something that all these other people don't know. It's so hard to trust yourself when there's no proof you're right. And, and this was one of the biggest moments for me when I was in that spot, because I sat, I literally sat there in that rental car crying. <laughs> like the pressure felt so heavy 
I sat there, I prayed, I cried. I was like, I was like trying to just literally say, God, tell me what to do because this feels too heavy for me. Starting to second guess myself. I don't want to go out of business. I've been working 100 hour weeks for three years, um, trying to do every job in the company too, because we couldn't afford to hire anybody for Zilla. And I was just like, and it's hard when your gut, I kept checking in. I had this moment. I knew this. I knew I wasn't able to prove this till way later, but I, I had this kind of feeling of like, okay, just like authenticity doesn't guarantee success, but inauthenticity guarantees failure. I would see that prove out over and over and over with the thousands of entrepreneurs I would later be in shows with for many years. But in that moment, it's hard. We know we know things or they sound good but it's hard to try. And so that's why I say like the life-defining moments, I believe, whether they're who you marry, what friendship you're going to stay in, what job you're going to jump in or out of, I think they come down to that. And that's why I wrote this book. They come down to knowing how to hear yourself and then making the decision to trust yourself. And I just remember sitting in this this rental car Watching people walk in and out of the, the QVC building, which sounds a little creepy when I'm saying this out loud, but I would just sit there watching. And I knew the next time I walked in that building, like I was going to walk out with my whole life changed one way or the other. Either I'd be out of business completely or, <laughs> or I'd be in a, in a whole new, new chapter of our business. And I just sat there trying to hear and make sure I was hearing myself, right? Instead of my own fear or maybe the ex- and thoughts would come into my head. Well, maybe the experts are right or, you know, this hasn't ever worked and I do have one shot. Maybe, you know, but I couldn't try it both ways. I'm like, well, maybe if I just start out doing it with like everyone else and then I'll build it up and then I'll try. Like I have all those thoughts, right? But at the end of the day, when I would get still and I would check in with my knowing, like I, I remember too, Jonathan, like I would imagine who is that person watching on the other end, right? Like I'm about to have this one in a million opportunity, this one shot. I'm going to go live on national television. And who is that that person? And I would imagine different women. And I didn't want to let them down. Meaning like I, like this, I kept imagining the single mom in Nebraska who was like folding laundry who had, who was too busy to remember that she matters and to remember that she's beautiful and maybe had never like I I imagine her if she was going to bless me with 5 seconds of her precious time and have me on her television like I I remember this moment where I realized I'd rather have her look up on her screen see me taking off my my makeup showing my bright red rosacea showing all these women calling them beautiful and meaning it I'd rather have her see that and not buy anything than like me go on air and do the crap I've seen my whole life in magazines and stand for nothing. Yeah. And I, I knew what I had to do. I knew. <laughs> I knew. And because in that moment I chose to trust myself, the entire future changed of everything that happened after that. You know, we we went live in that t- I remember I remember the 10 minute clock started and it was like 9.59, 9.58. And I thought I had practiced this demonstration in the mirror so many times on my wrist where I showed the top two competitive concealers to ours in the department stores and then I showed ours. And I bend my wrist a bunch of times to show ours never creases and the other ones do. 
I practiced in my bathroom mirror, I don't know, a thousand times. So I go live on QVC. I thought I was ready. My hand was shaking so much that the host had to grab it. And she's like, thank you, sugar. And she pushed it under the podium. And I remember the moment my bright red face came up on national television. And I remember showing all the models, all ages and sizes and skin tones. And we were about a minute left. And the host said, uh, the deep shade is almost sold out. The tan shade is down. And I was like, and then I remember at the last seconds, the sold out sign came up across the screen in this diagonal, big, like stamp-like sold out sign. I literally start crying. And, and they cut. And I remember my husband rushing through the double doors of the studio. And I'm like, real women have spoken. And he's like, we're not going bankrupt. <laughs> and then that one airing turned into five that year and then 150 the next year and eventually over 250 live shows a year. Uh, and we built the largest beauty brand in QVC's history. And it is right now at this moment to this day – I only share that because it was three years of not just no, but like you're not the right fit for us or for our customers. And then we eventually, you know, got into the all the stores that had told us no. We eventually turned those into yeses and started a three-year conversation with L'Oreal that was also filled with a lot of no's. And, and even L'Oreal, with the best of intentions, giving us feedback on the stuff we needed to improve and change. And, and we did take some of it when it felt right. But when I look back now, had I made all the changes they suggested, they would have never bought our company for $1.2 billion cash because we'd be doing what everyone else was doing. And it's these moments I look back on where it's like, wow, where I made our biggest mistakes is when I didn't trust myself. And the biggest moments that changed everything were the times I did, even when it didn't make sense to. Yeah. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm I'm curious also when you talk about that three year sort of like season um, mm. to weather something like that. You know, if you started this and you said we're going to build an amazing product, an amazing product company, and that was your primary reason why, versus you having a bigger reason, you know, like you basically saying, okay, so that thing that made me want to inquire into and tell the stories of people as an anchor. This is making me want to inquire into and not only tell the stories, but inspire the stories of like everyone, primarily women. And there was something that was very personally connected to you. There was a deeper why that was a that was yeah. bigger than building a product company. I'm curious whether you ever reflect on whether you think building the company would have been enough of a reason why to sustain you had you not had that bigger sense of service and purpose because there's clearly a hardcore entrepreneur and founder and business builder inside of you who just lights up at the process of building like an organization at scale. That's, that's a part of you. But I wonder if that would have been enough to get you to, you know, like three years in a day until you finally had this one experience. I don't think it would have. I don't think so. I think that one of the big mistakes that so many really smart, well-intentioned people make, especially entrepreneurs, but also uh, just people in their everyday lives with goals and things like that is I think that you know, there's there's so much great work that's been done on your why, your mission for doing what you're doing. There's a lot of books out there that are wonderful. And I think the big mistake a lot of people make is they have a goal or a dream or a company or anything else. And it could be simple. It could be, I'm going to work out every day this year, right? It could be anything. And I think that first, most people don't attach a why to it. But when people do attach a why to it, I feel like that the big mistake people make is they stop at a why that just makes sense and sounds really good and makes them feel like they've nailed it. <laughs> and they don't take the time to like peel back the layers and go deeper to the why beneath the why. You know, um, one example I'm just thinking that comes to mind is, you know, if we say, oh, like, well, what you just brought, oh, I want to, I want to create a product that works for me, or I want to help millions of people also. Like those are great whys. But if it's not as deep as it can possibly go, I don't think it's enough. I think they sound good. I think a lot of people will say, oh, I'm gonna create this business, I'm gonna launch this business. And I'm going to pay for my kids' college one day. And I think if you say that to yourself and to other people, that sounds really good. And it's like admirable. And But like, is that deep enough to actually drive you, you know, when you want to quit, when it's hard, when you keep getting knocked down? And I think often there is a deeper why there, even in that same person situation, but they haven't done the work or even are aware that they should, appealing back all the layers and going deeper. Because in that one example, 
for example, if someone's wise, I want to pay for my kid's school. I mean, that's, that sounds so great, but is that meaningful enough? Meaning if you do the work of peeling back the layers, what is the why beneath why you want to pay for your kid's school? And then start going there and figuring out, well, why do you? And what does that mean for you? And is it that you want to show up for your kids in a way that no one ever showed up for you growing up? Is it that you want to break a generational cycle in your family of X, Y, or Z? Is it, right? And you start peeling it back and going deeper and deeper and deeper until you get to something that's going to give you that unwavering, like, passion that means way more to you than how hard rejection is or how much it sucks when you don't want to see your ATM receipt and you hit no receipt over and over and anytime you go get $20 cash. Like that that thing that means more that's way bigger than yourself because if we don't do that, I think it's way too easy to quit. It's like, you know what? They can get student loans. Like, you know what? Like, I, you know, I want the brownie. I don't need to work out every day. Whatever it is, right? I mean, I'm just using random examples, but I think that peeling back and the why beneath the why is so important. I don't think for me, even though if I said, oh, Jonathan, I've helped millions of women feel more confident, like, that would sound amazing. And do I care about that? Yes, absolutely. I care about that. That wouldn't have identified the deep enough pain in me to keep getting back up every time I got knocked down. Or, you know, when the investor told me, I don't think women will buy makeup from someone who looks like you with your body and your weight, I probably wouldn't have even processed it the same way I processed it had I not identified that deep, deep, deep fuel for why I was doing what I was doing. Similarly, all the years of the no's, you know, whether it was from L'Oreal who ended up buying our business or it was from Sephora or the department stores or like, I didn't have time to take them personally, even though they hurt, even though our human nature wants to get resentful when people reject us or say we're not the right fit for them or whatever. I was really driven by like a, a way bigger thing I wanted to do. Right. And so like, I didn't have time and I never took any of them personally. I literally just made my, I just, I made the decision that like I was going to change the beauty industry. So they just didn't get it yet. And if they're saying no to our products, like I feel bad for them. They're just robbing their customer of a great experience and they're just delaying changing lives. And like, I would just tell myself those things and believe them because I did that, that work of, you know, peeling back and just doing the why beneath the why. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And uh, and I'm a complete believer in it as well. You know, I think a lot of times we get to this place where we're trying to figure these things out. And we also, you know, our intuition tells us that, you know, there's something there. Keep going. We have this deeper, you know, like I, I in my language, I call it five levels of why. You just keep asking until you get to it. Yeah. And for me, when I, this goes back to our early conversation, I know that it's it when I actually feel it. You know, if I keep throwing mm, yes. out an answer, because I can come up with a lot of language, I can come up with a lot of compelling, you know, like things that I can post on a brand statement and all this and that, and that looks sexy in a pitch document, you know, and I know it'll accomplish a specific goal, but if I don't actually feel it, like for me, the tell is I physically will start to mm. shake. It will, I will, really? my heart will raise. I'll, yeah. uh, I will get teary. Like 
if I if I'm not there, I know like okay, so I've got some good reasons here, but like you said, and and those reasons very often I think they'll get us through 80, 90% of the challenges that come our way. But when you're building something really substantial and it's long-term, it's that last 10 to 20% of the stuff that's really brutal that Mm -hmm. the sort of like the surface level, why just doesn't get you through, you know, and you've got to like, those are the things where you're on your knees. And if you don't have that deeper visceral embodied, why you're not going to get up, you're going to walk away or crawl away. Mm-hmm. But it's a it's a hard process often, and sometimes it's a process. I, I don't. I'm curious whether you feel this way. Sometimes for me, it's been this process of leaning into it and then stepping away and revisiting it and stepping away and creating a creating space for sort of like my subconscious brain to let it emerge over time. And it's like mm-hmm. you'll be walking down the street, and it just comes. You're like, oh, that. <laughs> yeah. And you know when it fe- yeah, and you know when it feels right. No, exactly. And and what you said too, and I think because you just use the word surface level why, and I think that a lot of people, because their why sounds so good, they don't realize it's still too surface. You know what I mean? They don't realize that. So I love that you're you even using that language. And I I do feel it too. Like it's the exact same thing. And you just kind of like, it's that feeling of knowing, right? It's almost like when you're in a creative mode and you're in flow, it's almost like flow of knowing or something, that feeling. And I, I do believe everyone can, can have it. I do believe that. But I do think that it takes, it does take practice and it, it takes a lot of unlearning in some cases of what we listen to as well. Yeah. I'm curious. And when you bring up the word practice, I'm a big believer in just practices that allow us to increase our general level of awareness of the world around us and also our awareness mm. of what's happening within us. I'm a you know, like a longtime meditator and pranayama practitioner. Um, I'm curious whether there are a set of practices that you turn to to tap into this or, or to let it flow more readily. Yeah. I mean, for me, two things. So I, I do meditate every single day in the morning, usually around 4.30 or 5 early. And so that for me is how I get still. But I still, I still every day when I meditate, I still have thoughts flying through my head or my to-do list comes up or any of that. Like still to this day. Oh yeah. I'm 10 years into a daily meditation practice and I'm like, of 25 minutes, I'm like, I got a good two minutes in there. <laughs> You do too. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, it's still a work in progress. I just really pay, I just pay attention to that, that feeling, that knowing, and I try to trust it and, you know, I'm getting better at it, but I think it's a lifelong journey. Uh, You know, there's still things like I, I share in the book that after going my whole life um, with Oprah as my mentor I'd never met, that I had this crazy experience, which I won't share all of it, of how I did meet her and what happened after and and how, you know, when, when she and I had lunch together at her house, she gave me her cell phone number and said, uh, you can call me anytime, like call me anytime. And that was three years ago. And to this day, when I you know, want to get her thoughts on my book or I have something I want to share with her, an idea or a, like I text her or I'll email her. I've literally never called her number. And I didn't understand this for a while, but when I really did the work on it, I'm like, oh, deep down inside, I actually still, 
I think I've gotten there in so many areas of my life where I'm like, oh, I believe I belong in this room. I believe even though they're all telling me no, I've learned to believe and trust myself. I'm right. All these things. And I talk about all the things I've learned on how to believe in myself, trust myself. But it's a journey. It's a journey because I realized, wow, I still think my own vibration needs to be higher to actually be worthy of calling Oprah's cell phone right now. And like, I'm not proud of that because I know it's not true. I know it's not true, but it's still one of many things where I'm like, oh, okay, I still have to now learn to believe I am worthy <laughs> in that area too. So it's, it's, a, it's a journey, I think, for all of us, a lifelong journey of really stepping into all of who we are and also knowing we're enough and worthy exactly as we are. Yeah. And, and cultivating the self-awareness to be able to see it or feel it. Yeah. You reach a point where you build this company into something pretty stunning. After these three years of negotiations or conversations, doing the dance with L'Oreal, they acquire it. And then you stay on for sort of like the typical three years of a founder, you know, sort of like, you know, honoring the the responsibility to be there for the consulting agreement. And then 2019, you step away from this thing that you've been building for essentially a decade. And this thing, which was not just a product company, not just a company, not just a mission, but it was a fairly substantial part of your identity, your reason for being for that window of time. Yeah. When you step away from something like that, I'm curious what it's like when you wake up the next morning for you and how you reorient around purpose. Yeah. The whole thing with L'Oreal acquiring it cosmetics was um, wild. It was a, their largest acquisition in L'Oreal history, and they made me the first woman to hold a CEO title in their 107-year history at the time um, of any brand. And it was an interesting thing because I'd given them my word I would stay for three years, but there's actually nothing holding me to it financially. But I think that you know when people believe in you, it's good to do whatever you can to prove them right. And um, three years post-acquisition with L'Oreal, I just had this this like strong, like strong feeling that I was called to serve in, in a totally different way. And it was time. And I think when we share, like through the power of story, I think there's a lot of people out there that have don't have a faith practice or a spiritual practice, but they connect through the power of story. And it's where they get their hope or where they feel less alone. And I just had this really strong feeling it was time, but it was hard. It was really hard. And I love the team I built like family. So that that was hard too. But I, you know, the blessing in all of it is L'Oreal is a massive machine. <laughs> and like the company is in such great hands and scaling and they're keeping, you know, the, the authentic mission of the brand and all that. So it's it's like good, you know. And but you know, I, I knew it was time. And 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 the crazy thing too, Jonathan, was that in all the early years when I could barely afford like like you know, my husband and I, a great date night was like the dollar hot dog at Costco at the, you know what I mean? Like it was, I mean, it, it was not glamorous for most of our journey. And then I, you know, spent 150 plus nights a year at the hotel outside of QVC for eight years and did 250 live shows myself. Like most of the journey was not glamorous. And by the time L'Oreal had acquired at Cosmetics, I remember it was the month I left. I had a brand new corner office 
in like a 60,000 square foot office that was just for our brand. And it was my office overlooked the entire Manhattan skyline. And I remember sitting in this office that was like my own corner office, more beautiful than any uh, home or apartment I'd ever, (laughs) ever, ever been in. And looking around going, wow, I'm in this moment in my life where all of a sudden, all the things around me that tell that that reinforce this sense of significance are all around me now and i can stay here and i can sit here and i can have this kind of life i see in movies now like holy crap that's crazy right and but i also remember looking at all this pretty stuff all around me and I remember the res- the respect I feel so blessed and grateful to have earned inside the company. But then you also get a whole you, you get a whole new world of significance outside when you sell your company for a billion dollars, right? So all that stuff was happening, and yet I had this knowing that th- that this is the end of a chapter. This isn't where I'm going to stay and sit and have this now really fun, fancy, (laughs) like the glamorous parts just starting. And yet, why does it feel like now's the time I should leave? You know? And, but I just, I felt that knowing because I'd never shared like the story behind the story of anything. And what I do know for sure is when, when we're able to, to share the things we've gone through or learned for something greater than ourselves, that's where I feel fulfilled. That's where fulfillment comes, not from the fancy things or the things that tell us we're significant from the outside. And so like making that decision to bear my face on QVC, <laughs> I made the decision that I guess it was really the first biggest moments of glamour and significance from the outside that that wasn't where I was supposed to be anymore. And it was hard and very sad and very emotional, but I felt peace about it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting hearing you share your story and where you've landed right now. Your husband's name is Paolo. And yeah. similar to a really famous author, Paolo Coelho, who wrote a book called The Alchemist, which is really about the hero's journey, the heroine's journey. And like, you know, like the punchline at the end is like you come back to basically who you've always been, but you have to go out into the world and be brought to your knees and discover all this stuff in order to understand um, the truth mm-hmm. of that journey and the truth of where you started and and the importance of that thing. And it feels like you have, there's this full circle moment in your heroine's journey where you're, you've made this journey back to yourself and then you're turning back around to society and saying, here's what I know. Mm-hmm. It's a very powerful moment to be in. And it feels like a good place for us to come full circle as well. So hanging out here in this container of Good Life Project, if I offer up the phrase to live a good life, what comes up? To trust yourself and to learn how. <laughs> learn how to hear yourself and then trust yourself. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks also to our fantastic sponsors who help make this show possible. You can check them out in the links we have included in today's show notes. And while you're at it, if you've ever asked yourself, what should I do with my life? We have created a really cool online assessment that will help you discover the source code for the work that you're here to do. You can find it at sparkatype.com. That's S-P-A-R-K-E-T-Y-P-E. 
www.thinkandgrowthclub.com or just click the link in the show notes. And of course, if you haven't already done so, be sure to click on the subscribe button in your listening app so you never miss an episode. And then share, share the love. If there's something that you've heard in this episode that you would love to turn into a conversation, share it with people and have that conversation. Because when ideas become conversations that lead to action, that's when real change takes hold. See you next time.